<laughs> Hello, everyone. This is Disney Co. In the Know, Harry Potter edition, um, podcast number two. I am your host, Bruce Beal, and I am joined today with Disney Co. In the Know contributors, Jacob. Hi. And Hannah. Hey. And contributor and social media manager, Elizabeth. Hello. All right. Well, today uh, we are going to be discussing Chapter 2. But before we get to Chapter 2, I want to say that Disney Co. in the No Blog is sponsored by 407 and Beyond Vacation Company, Disney and Universal theme park experts who help plan your perfect family vacation. They take away the stress. So all you have to do is show up, have fun, and create family memories. All right, guys. I have been anticipating a whole five minutes since our last show for <laughs> chapter two. And uh, chapter two, we will be guided by, uh, by Hannah. So Hannah, I will turn it over to you uh, to guide us through chapter two. All right. Chapter two is the vanishing glass. So chapter two, chapter two starts out and the first line they say is nearly 10 years have passed. So we're really getting into now like the heart of where Harry's story begins for us. Um, and they say that like nothing has really changed. And I feel like that kind of sums up the Dursley's lives, um, because Dudley is still the center of their world and they still don't really care about Harry. Um, so, <laughs> but Harry lives with them now and he lives in the cupboard under the stairs. And so the chapter starts out and Petunia is like, you know, banging on the door and she's like, get up, get up. You've got to make the bacon. It's Dudley's birthday. And Harry had been having this dream about this motorcycle. Um, and so he gets up, he's making the bacon, and it's Dudley's birthday. And we really get to see here, like, the kind of person that Dudley has become and how different he is from Harry. You know, mm -hmm. Dudley is described as very fat and hating exercise. Um, <laughs> whereas Harry's this skinny kid who um, doesn't, you know, get much of anything from the Dursleys. And for Dudley's birthday... Um, they start out and they're having breakfast and he's opening his presents and he complains because there's only 37 yeah. and that is less mm. than the previous year. So and Hannah, if I could already say that this part of the book is already like irritating seeing him behave this way, mm -hmm. but it's even like for whatever reason, I think it's visually, it's just, it's worse seeing it in the movie. You're like, mm -hmm. oh my gosh, this kid is so spoiled. But what's worse is, you know, sometimes you would expect an 11-year-old to act like that. Or not expect it, but like, okay, it's a teaching moment for an 11-year-old. But it's the parents, it's, mm -hmm. it's Vernon and Petunia that are like, mm -hmm. okay, we'll get you more gifts. And we're going to the zoo and all this stuff. We'll buy you two more mm -hmm. presents. And you're like, okay, this is definitely eye-opening into what the Dursleys are like. Yeah, And Bruce, not to interrupt you, um, oh, sorry, Hannah, but yeah, I was just thinking when you said that, it's the parents, which we all know it is, like when we're reading that, but it's funny because then in book, I forget which one Aunt Marge is at for dinner, number and three. yeah, number three, and she makes the comment about Harry's parents um and how like how the mother is that's how the child will be um and it's really funny because you can kind of draw on that like at the same time here like mm. but I don't feel like uh, Petunia and Mr. Dursley are they would you say they are like Dudley in that sense you know what that's I mean a really good, no that's really good they made him who he is. Yeah, so. they're definitely okay. like yeah. the world's <laughs> largest enablers. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. For and sure. I think that one of the things at this point of the, the chapter, like starting out like this, and you see Dudley getting showered with gifts and just being a brat. And then you like, 
you know, Harry lives under the stairs in a cupboard and they make him work for them. And, you know, it mentions how he's like got spiders crawling around in his bedroom and, um, they tell him don't ask questions all the time and they really treat him so horribly. And from the moment this chapter starts, you just see that. And like to think about the life that he's lived for the past 10 years, getting treated like that, like just breaks my heart. Yeah. It, it's so funny. Cause when you read this as a kid, you're like, uh, you know, parents, you know, um, or, or you're like, you, you read it through the lens of, of, of a kid. But when you reread these as an adult, you're like, that's just straight up child abuse. Yes. And it's just like, it's so like terrible to read as an adult. Like, how are they training a 10 and 11 year old like this? Weirdly, yeah. it, it doesn't seem as bad as a kid. You'd think the kid would be like, oh my gosh, like that's terrible. But as a kid, you're just like, oh, he, he like lives in a cupboard of spiders. And <laughs> Whatever. Right? Doesn't have anything. Like, okay. Right. <laughs> yeah, then, right. then you go back and read it as an adult and it's like, whoa, like that's terrible. Yeah. <laughs> they and, him and they pamper their own kid right in front of them. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Bruce, you bring up the point of child abuse and later, um, you know, in the chapter, Harry's like thinking about like, you know, when he's in school and he gets in trouble in school for, you know, the things that happen and how he gets like beat up at school and how you wonder how the adults at school don't notice the difference between Harry and Dudley because they come from the same house. Mm. You would have to figure that something's wrong. Like why didn't, like, I want to know like why no adults spoke up and maybe that's just part of like me being, you know, someone who works with kids now and like you're constantly on the lookout for like wanting to make sure that these kids that you're serving are being taken care of. And Harry's very clearly not. Mm -hmm. It's like, how did no one say anything? Mm -hmm. Part of it might be, I, b I believe this is set in 1991. True. So times have changed a little bit since then. You know, that's mm -hmm. almost okay. 30 years ago now. So uh, <laughs> as weird as that sounds to say. <laughs> no, hey, now. <laughs> um, uh, no, but I do have to say that I think also just from chapter one, the Dursleys, probably were very manipulative people um in that sense so they were probably able to come up with some sort of an excuse um maybe for, for the way that you know dudley was being treated versus harry but it does make you scratch your head to think huh so <laughs> no one was else was looking out for this kid <laughs> right yeah, yeah, not not Mrs. Well, Fig this chapter. That, that's what I was gonna say. <laughs> there is one person we know is kind of that's true. Hannah, uh, Hannah, before you move on to the next uh, plot point, um, are we gonna be bringing up Harry going to school again? Because I did have something I wanted to address about school. Go ahead, bring it up. So I, what, it, I thought it was so funny reading chapter two again and, and hearing about Harry going to school, like and going to public school, because. I have the hardest time picturing Harry Potter in another school that's not Hogwarts. Like, mm -hmm. it just seems like, oh my gosh, that's right. He did go to another school for a little right. bit. And mm -hmm. it wasn't Five always years. Hogwarts. Yeah. Because you don't mm -hmm. go to Hogwarts till you're 11. And yeah. you start kindergarten between five and six. So he's gone to another school for five years. Yeah. So I just think like all wizards it. go to elementary school. I would say no. Because when you think about how many questions in you know book two and onward that are um arthur weasley has for harry about muggles and how this works and how that works like i don't think they, they would know well they certainly don't go to muggle elementary school yes understood it as they just kind of get taught at home yeah, yeah. that's mm -hmm. what i've figured the as well 10 years but i don't know that is kind mm -hmm. of a weird system 
Yeah, it it's is. Like I agree. Weird quirks of wizard society. <laughs> mm -hmm. And you've got to wonder too, as Harry's at Hogwarts, is he like comparing it to his previous school at all? You know, mm -hmm. he obviously didn't have very good experiences, so he probably wasn't. He talks about how he got in trouble for being, you know, getting on the roof when he didn't even know yeah. how he got on the roof and no one cared that he didn't know how he got there. It's just get off the roof and, mm -hmm. um, yeah. But yeah, that's true. All right, go great, ahead, Hannah. Great point. Um, so it's Dudley's birthday and they're having a party and Dudley's friend is coming over and they're going to go to the zoo and Harry is supposed to spend the day with Mrs. Fig because he's not allowed to join them and have fun. And Mrs. Fig calls and she has broken her leg and can't watch Harry for the day. And so Dudley starts throwing a fit. He doesn't want Harry to come, but there's nothing else they can do. So Harry gets to join them to go to the zoo. I understand for plot reasons why Mrs. Fig couldn't watch Harry. So Harry, so we have this chapter about him going to the zoo and having a vanishing glass. But as far as I know, they just, when he goes to Mrs. Fig's, they just sit there and look at photos of cats. So I'm wondering why her broken Maybe leg. Maybe she was at the hospital. <laughs> That's very true. I also have a suspicion that maybe... So we know from book five that Mrs. Fig actually reports to Dumbledore and has been keeping an eye on Harry. And I kind of, you know, maybe that's what she's been doing all along. And she's a person who like looks out for Harry and tries to take care of him. And so maybe she could have technically watched him or maybe she didn't actually break her leg. Like we never find that out. That's... But I, I kind of wonder if she did that on purpose because she yeah. wanted Harry to go and do something fun. And he, you know, and he's getting closer to that age where, as we know from having read the books, he's going to be getting his letters and going to Hogwarts. So maybe this is kind of like a push to getting him, you know, more into the, the world to experience some things before he's whisked off to school. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, mm -hmm. I just thought that the, a broken leg is like a, an ailment that would be terrible to have. Um, and I probably wouldn't be in the mood to babysit anybody if I had a broken leg, but it's like not enough of an ailment to totally wipe out the possibility that you could. And so I thought that that might be in there on purpose just for us to be like, hmm, I wonder if that, you know, if there's anything to that or not. Yeah. You and you know, would almost think was... that she would want the help. Like if your leg's broken yeah. and you could have some kid come over and like get your lunch for you and like hang out with you because you're homebound because your leg's broken or whatever. Um, yeah, I agree with Hannah's excited point. to have someone. Yeah. So yeah. I think that it was something done on purpose, either by her or orchestrated by Dumbledore. Um, especially because, you know, we know that like Harry getting flown up to the roof and um, like I mentioned earlier with school and we find out kind of later, Harry talks about some weird things that happen with him. Mm -hmm. The just bizarre things like how Petunia shaves all of his hair off except his bangs, which would be a horrible look. <laughs> and then the, the next there morning, was that look though in the 90s. <laughs> the next morning, it's completely grown back. Or yeah. she tries to put this ugly sweater on him and it shrinks and shrinks till it won't fit him anymore. And I'm wondering mm -hmm. if as he's getting older, if these magical instances are happening more and if they're kind of pushing him out into the world so those will happen more so that the Dursleys have to talk to him about him being a wizard. Mm. Because we know that they haven't. And I suspect, you know, maybe Dumbledore has some suspicions as well that they haven't told him. And mm -hmm. he may be trying, maybe he orchestrated this whole thing that happens in this chapter to try to, to prompt. Because it does kind of sound like a Dumbledore type of thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know. All maybe right. I'm getting too into it. <laughs> <laughs> so, I want to point out, just because this is something 
I know I talked about it a little bit with regards to the last chapter too, but that is a heck of a like flash forward or callback if if it was intended from this mm-hmm. point that you know Mrs. Fig was watching out for him and like in on everything. Uh, mm-hmm. to, to mention it really briefly, like almost in a throwaway sentence mm-hmm. uh, in the second chapter of the book, and then not mention it again for five more books. Like that's mm-hmm. really planning things out. So. Yeah, but I think one <laughs> of the things that we we learn from her release of Pottermore is that like J.K. Rowling planned out this whole universe. So mm-hmm. I also could would not put it past her to have thought of something like that. Like this character, maybe she didn't have the whole thing planned out, but to know like I'm going to bring this person back. And like this person, you know, is going to have a bigger role. But we also know that she just apparently seemingly makes stuff up at the drop of a hat. And, you know. <laughs> so. <laughs> All right. So they get in the car and they head to the zoo. And, you know, Harry's talking about how this is like the best day that he's ever had because he gets this like really crappy ice cream cone when Dudley and Dudley's friend get these great ice cream cones. And, um, you know, but he just gets to be outside and experiencing the world and how excited he is for that. Um, So they're at the zoo and they're watching, they go through the reptile building. And this is where like the the big exciting part happens. They're watching this snake and Dudley gets bored with it because it won't move and it's being annoying and they're all banging on the glass and they leave and Harry's still sitting there and the snake winks at him Mm -hmm. and kind of like is, you know, gesturing to him and whatever. And Harry's like, I'm sure that must be so annoying. And the snake like nods and they start having this conversation. And as they're having this conversation, you know, Dudley, finds out what's happening and comes running back over and is pounding on the glass. And then all of a sudden the glass disappears and the snake comes out of the exhibit and s- speaks to Harry and says, you know, like Brazil, here I come. Thanks. Because you know, that's supposedly where the snake is from and the snake heads off. Um, and the glass has just disappeared and there's no explanation for it. Yeah. yeah. And so if I recall correctly from, uh, from the book to the movie, um, Dudley and Piers end up in the snake exhibit behind the glass and the glass mm-hmm. reappears. But in the book, I don't think that they're, they, they are in the exhibit. I think just the glass vanishes and the, the bow constrictor mm-hmm. comes Perfect. out. Right. Yeah. 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 And I don't believe mm-hmm. Piers is in the movie. Is he? Uh, I don't think so. No, I think it's just no. the four of them at the zoo mm-hmm. that day in the movie. Um, yeah. I think that trapping Dudley behind the glass was like a fun little addition for the movie. Um, and something that, like, it's fun to see happen, but, like, probably wouldn't have been as exciting to write into the story. So I think that was, like, a fun addition for the movie. Um, I think this also kind of goes, um, just, we see Harry having a conversation with a snake. And um, for someone who um, is just being introduced to the magic world, we're like, oh, that is so cool. Like, oh my gosh, wizards can talk to snakes. Like, that's what we're anticipating since we yeah. do know, I mean, just from everything that you do know he's a wizard. Um, but you don't realize that actually that's not a superpower or like a power you want to have. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the time you think how cool that is to be able to talk to a snake. Um, so I think that's like really interesting. And I think it does kind of go to show um, fast forwarding in a few chapters, you know, when they're talking about Slytherin, 
And then you're probably, you know, at least I was like thinking like, oh, well, he can teach, talk to snakes. Like Slytherin was, you know, like a good match. Like right. you have all these like things like starting to twirl in your head. And I, I know like that's how JK Rowling likes to, you know, write and um, why she excels so much. But I think it's just, again, we keep saying it, but so, uh, and then we find out, you know, Voldemort's able to do it later on um, as well. And actually it's not something you wouldn't be able to do. But I think it just goes to show how well she has planned out things. I mean, like, that is such a minute little thing mm -hmm. of, like, Harry being able to, you know, break down the glass, being able to speak to a, um, a snake. Like, that's that's crazy to be able to think about, you know, how she thought through that. So Yeah. And speaking of Voldemort and snakes, Voldemort has a pet snake, Nagini. And there's speculation that this snake is Nagini. What are you guys' thoughts on that? Like, do you think mm -hmm. that that's, like, too much far-fetched, or do you think that that could actually be, like, a plot point that she was trying to add in here? Like, that um, this snake is important. Initial reaction well, is that 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 wouldn't work for me. Um, no. Yeah. Be, just because we, in Fantastic Beasts, we learn the origins of Nagini, mm -hmm. and it doesn't seem to me that, because that, that snake was also born in captivity. Right. Do, and so... I, 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 that wouldn't work if it was Nagini. Maybe I'm um, making stuff up here, but I got the impression that this snake was a, a male in this chapter. Mm -hmm. I feel like it's referred to with, with masculine pronouns. Maybe I'm wrong. Uh, no, I, I, think, remember, um, I think it's it. Okay. Okay. Yeah, but yeah, I don't I, think I, that, that's that works. A good point, and a good point about the Fantastic Beasts. And um, mm -hmm. with the universe constantly growing and changing, it's also possible that like maybe she thought of that initially and then came up with a better backstory, or it's possible that that is. Uh, is Nagini a boa constrictor also? Mm. Another great thought. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. I'm not sure if they ever mentioned like what type of, like what species Snake. of yeah. Nagini is, but mm -hmm. they specifically say this one is a boa constrictor. Yeah. yeah. And you know, I think that goes kind of to show like as an avid Harry Potter fan, you want everything to connect, connect somehow. Like you want that connectivity. Like it's like, oh my gosh, that makes it so much cooler. Um, but then sometimes you, like it's better to not have it connect in this sense. And it just is kind of like a foreshadowing um, for the snakes, um, the snake references throughout the entire series. Yeah. Well, one thing I thought was kind of funny, I don't know that it actually <laughs> matters or anything, but it's just kind of a uh, interesting implication of things. Like uh, I think the way we normally think of, of parcel tongue as an ability is like, you can basically, you can just talk to snakes. Like that's how we uh, interpret this scene looking back on it. When you, when you see it the first time you think, Oh, there's, you know, some kind of magic that's facilitating the interaction with the snake here. But then we go back and we reread it and it's just, Oh, like Harry can speak parcel tongue. He can speak to snakes. Yeah. Uh, the, it's implied that the snake can read the, uh, the sign outside its exhibit. Cause it like, it can nod and point and say like, Oh, like, yeah. like Harry says, where are you from? And it's like, Oh, like, you know, check the sign. Yeah. He points to the, to the uh, sign with his tail. So which, which as if like he knows what's on it. Yeah, which which fits in, which like doesn't seem weird the first time you read it, you know, because when you read it the first time, you're like, oh, well, it's a magical interaction, like, mm -hmm. right. that's, that's how this is going down. But then when you go back and do it again, it's like, well, just because Harry can speak snake doesn't mean that the snake should be able to read, <laughs> read English. <laughs> read English. Right. And I think yeah. that maybe that's kind of where it brings in, like, people may have gotten the idea with Nagini is like, that snake obviously is 
is different oh. than other snakes. So if this snake can read and this snake can do that kind of stuff, like does this snake have some special place later? And I think you guys all brought up great points and that it doesn't. Um, it's also very possible that the snake just heard people say like, oh, it's bred in captivity and just knows from living there its whole life. But can the snake understand English? Understand the English language. Yeah. Great question. I think they'd only be able to understand someone else who's speaking parcel tongue. Um, but taking a point, if it is quote unquote Nagini, I mean, she spoke English in the film, so maybe she would be able to understand. Yeah, I think I, how I think up in, in a yeah. Suit. Yeah, I, I don't know. I think we got to move beyond that. that it's point. Nagini. I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, oh, go ahead, Hannah. No, I was just gonna keep us rolling. Do you nope, have any keep going. Okay. Mm -mm. So um, they're all freaking out because the glass is gone and the snake disappears. And then Dudley's friend says, Harry was talking to it, weren't you, Harry? And then mm -hmm. Harry gets in huge trouble with Vernon. Do you guys think that Vernon suspects he did this on purpose? Like, do you think that this and the other magical instances we mentioned with getting on the roof and the shrinking sweater and the hair, do the, you guys think that they think Harry can control his magic at this point? I, or not? I think it's more of a just you're, you're less of a, oh, you're doing like less of a punish him for, for sabotage and more of a they're scared of like they don't want yeah. anything to do with it. They don't care if he did it on purpose or by accident. They just like want to teach him that like no magic. <laughs> whether whether, mm -hmm. it's, whether it's not like find a way to suppress. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I totally I'm agree. Impression I get. I think Vernon mm -hmm. yeah. is so uh, frightened of of just that magical world and anything that's not normal in his eyes mm -hmm. that um, I, I think he just takes that out on Harry. Yeah, uh, not mm -hmm. necessarily thinking that Harry sabotaged the the birthday zoo visit. All right, so they return home. Harry has been banished to his cupboard. No meals. He's not told when he can leave. And as he's sitting in his cupboard, trying to figure out if it's safe to sneak out and get some food, he reflects back on his life and how miserable he's been with the Dursleys and how his parents died in this car crash and how does a car crash have a green light? And, you know, us knowing what happens, we know that that's the magic. And... Um, then Harry kind of talks about how the Dursleys are his only family and he hoped that people, someone would take him away and no one ever did, but he talks about the nice strangers in the street who all recognize him, which, you know, because of his scar, they know who he is. Um, and how he's like thankful for those people and how they like are the only people who, who treated him kindly. And it, it just kind of like ends on this like sad note that he mm -hmm. has no one. Um, but, I want to bring up real quick, we've talked about how do the muggles not protest Harry's treatment. I want to know what you guys think for, like, if the Wizarding World can recognize Harry because of his scar and, like, thank him, then obviously some of them know, like, kind of where he has to be, or you think you would glean from their situation and their physical appearances that something is not right with the way that they're treating Harry. So how have the wizards not protested or how the wizards not wanted to find him because he's so famous like think mm -hmm. about if, if you saw a celebrity on the street or maybe not you guys specifically but if a celebrity was seen on the street like people run up to them and talk to them and obviously some did but like how was it not a bigger thing yeah mm -hmm. i'm actually uh, uh to that point i'm actually kind of surprised that in chapter one they 
um, it's referenced about the recklessness in which they're celebrating, you know, the big night when, when more yeah. vanishes and there's like fireworks and shooting stars and people are out in front of muggles and what they consider, you know, recklessly or McGonagall references is recklessly. And I'm kind of surprised that up until this point that Harry doesn't have wizards who are acting recklessly trying to communicate with him or talk to him or, or free him. Or, or mm-hmm. yeah, whatever. Uh, I don't know if wizards actually know the types of conditions that he's living in. And so I don't know if wizards would necessarily think about freeing him, but at least mm-hmm. like, hey, can I take a photo or can we talk or, mm-hmm. hey, congratulations, you know, Mr. Potter or whatever. Right. I'm kind of surprised that that has never happened if the wizards are kind of in this but, joyous no, period of. It said it happened like three or four times or something. Right. I mean, that's like noticeable to muggles, like to, to a, a, like an obnoxious point that would give away the wizarding world to muggles. Well, to the point of JK writing Petunia's part, I mean, Petunia in a few chapters will call her sister a freak, you know, for being the way that she was. And so I think that they wrote it to make you seem like, not to sound terrible, but she did. You know, they really didn't bring Harry out a lot. Like, it was a huge inconvenience to bring him to the zoo. They didn't want him to be out in public because they probably knew, like, people would come up to him potentially, you know, um, and make comments. And so, I mean, when you do read it as an adult, you're like, oh, (laughs) you might have been enslaved a little bit at, you know, home. But um, I think that was because... And I think this just goes in, like, for saying, like, they didn't know what he was capable he was of doing. Mm-hmm. They didn't know, you know, um, oh, my gosh, if his hair's growing back, you know, just a simple thing like this after cutting it, what else could happen? You know, they were scared. They didn't, like, maybe know. I'm not trying to give the benefit of the doubt at all to the Dursleys because how they treated him is not, you know, what, how you should treat a 10-year-old that's your nephew right. um, at all. But I do think it kind of shows, like, they didn't know. They had no idea. Um, Petunia, like I said, she calls her sister, her and sister a freak. So I, you know, I don't like using that, but I think that maybe, talk, maybe. No, I think that's a really good point. And Hannah, yeah. as you wrap up uh, chapter two, I, I just want to say or ask this time jump between chapters one and two. I don't think we see another time jump like that until the end of book seven. Mm-mm. I think this is th- like now, this is like, we're going day by day or week by week from here until the end of the series. Yeah. Except for summers, except for summers. Yeah. But not like And some year, summers yeah. actually have a little bit of action. We'll go to the Quidditch World Cup eventually and, and stuff like that. But yeah, I the think this is, the, this is kind of the time jump to, to get us going. I think this is the time jump that I would love for them to go back. I, it would not be as interesting, but maybe do like a mini series <laughs> of like, what, I don't want to see Harry or, being mistreated for 10 I was years. Say, I don't want to see. Yeah. Either like the way that the Tursley, like what was Harry doing for those 10 years? I, <laughs> cooking bacon and living under the stairs. Like I don't know how much more of that. I, like, I will say I don't see anything during these 10 years. I'd rather see like the Weasleys in this like Ron yeah. or something. Yeah. Like that. I think that'd I agree. be cool to like Depressing see like what are their conversations? Mm-hmm. Like are they like, where's Harry? <laughs> or, you know, like what's going on? Yeah, Ron so, Scoudhoe would be fun. I will say um, the Warner Brothers studio tour in London uh, actually starts with um, you entering around the s- cupboard under the stairs. 
And so the very first photo you can take before you actually go on sets is the cupboard. And it's symbolic because we start there. They start the tour there. Um, and it is an actual staircase with a cupboard underneath. And you see this, you know, the tiniest of what is supposed to be a bedroom for Harry. Um, and that's how you start the tour uh, for the movie sets. And so um, it's a really cool way to kind of start the tour. And it's also kind of symbolic that that's where Harry started, you yeah. know, from the story Those standpoint. Yeah. All right. So we've ended our chapter on kind of a sour note. Uh, but Bruce, <laughs> what was your takeaway from this chapter? Oh, the key takeaway is this is the first time we're seeing Harry, you know, using magic um, or, or using it even if he's not meaning to. And so there's a lot of the world of magic to come in the chapters uh, that precede this chapter two, um, but we're getting a, a small taste of it now. So that's, uh, mm -hmm. that's the key takeaway for me. That's a great point. Elizabeth? I think um, like agreeing with Bruce, but also um, it kind of like shows you know, what Harry has to, what Harry has gone through um, to make him the wizard that he will be. I think as you read the entire series, you reflect back on his childhood um, and just like the choices that he makes, the reason that he is making, you know, certain decisions. And I think it all comes back to maybe this chapter because, you know, this is where, um, where it all kind of started for him in that sense. So it's yeah. an important chapter. Great point. Jacob? Yeah, yeah, similar thing. You know, it's remarkable how well adjusted Harry is for the uh, situation in which he was raised. So uh, I think that speaks a lot to his character and, and his strength of spirit and stuff like that, his resilience. Uh, mm -hmm. And obviously, mm -hmm. we're going to see more of that going forward. Uh, yeah. I think that's just really shown off in kind of an understated way in this chapter. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that part of his upbringing and that resilience that he shows is what, you know, makes him such a, a different character from anyone else in the series. Um, and, you know, getting to see his magic here is really cool. For me, Harry was my favorite, uh, favorite character of the chapter. What about you guys? Bruce, who was your favorite? Yeah, my favorite uh, character of this chapter is mentioned very briefly, and that is Miss Fig. And because without Miss <laughs> Fig and her unfortunate um injury breaking her leg harry would not have been able to go to the zoo um and, and not just would we not have had this scene we wouldn't have had this chapter but um harry wouldn't have had the little bit of joy that he had uh by going to the zoo that day so my uh, favorite character is miss fig all right jacob what about you uh my, mine's also harry uh i, I like the miss fig shout out that was another one i thought <laughs> uh <laughs> but uh <laughs> Partially, you know, because the reasons I said earlier, how, how Harry shows a lot of resilience and spirit and uh, pretty good character. Uh, you know, he, he reacts to everything very well. He has a good sense of humor, stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, but also just because there's really not a whole lot of other people to pick from. Like, <laughs> I'm not going <laughs> to pick any of the movies or... Fair you know, point. And then that is pretty much everyone else in this chapter, so... <laughs> All right. <laughs> Elizabeth? I'm going to say the snake. Um, I know that's a little different, but I think it sets up, like, what's to come, and mm -hmm. I really like that. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that was really important um, aspect to the entire series, and it's, um, it, uh, like, what I mentioned before, so. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All that's right. Fair. That's fair. That's, that's what we have for uh, – 
for chapter two. <laughs> Hannah, thanks for uh, guiding us through chapter two. Um, mm -hmm. Our next episode will be chapter three, The Letters from No One. So look forward to that. So whether or not you are listening or watching episode two, uh, please subscribe to our channel and, and like our video. And please let us know in the comment section below what you agree with, what you disagree with, who's your favorite character from the chapter, or what's your key takeaway. Um, let us know what we got right. Let us know what we got wrong. Um, as always, follow us on Facebook at 407 and Beyond Vacation Company and join in on the discussion at Disney Co. in the Know on our Facebook group. Read our blog at www.407andbeyond.com and visit us at www.407vacations.com to plan your next trip to Universal and experience the magic firsthand. And so until then, guys, I'll see you in Chapter 3. Thanks a lot for a good discussion. Thanks. See you guys. Bye. Bye.